The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Thank you, Deanie, for reading those passages for us this morning. Now, uh, throughout Advent, uh, the passages that we've been looking at are all helping us in this time of waiting. And I think they're kind of all geared towards preparing ourselves for Jesus to come again. Right? As we anticipate Christmas, we know that we anticipate the ultimate Christmas, the time when Christ will come to fulfill all things. And so these passages are preparing our hearts for that. And they are so practical. So practical. And this week we're kind of continuing our sermon from last week and looking a step beyond just uh, preparing ourselves for Jesus to come in terms of the, the foundation and looking for what is now, what is the right response to our repentance. You know, John describes this as the fruit. What are the things that we should be doing as a result of Jesus' grace in our lives. Now, gospel fruit, good works, proper response to Jesus, these things are a struggle for many of us. Over the past few months, actually, I've actually listened to a number of us in this congregation voice these struggles and these challenges over a Christian's response in our actions. And one of the great questions that I received was actually in our profession of faith class where a, 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 one, a person who was taking the class said to us, you know, how can we as people who are preparing ourselves to profess our faith, how can we trust the church that has actually been involved in some pretty shady things? I think this person was pointing to the news that we received of residential schools in Canada, many of these schools that were created and led by people who represent Jesus or who claim to represent Jesus. Along the same lines, I think we can think in our minds of the growing list of Christian leaders who have been accused of or convicted of sexual misconduct in and through their roles. Adding to this is the amount of rejection and hurt and brokenness that people who identify as LGBTQ plus have experienced in the body of Christ. The fruit of the church is not always good. And what do we do with that? But we also struggle with the challenges of bad fruit in each of us. Many of us can identify with the Apostle Paul who says in the book of Romans, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I do. Are we too sinful and broken? for God. Have we got this whole Christian life wrong? If I'm not producing good fruit, if I'm producing bad fruit, does that mean I'm not a real Christian? These are hard questions to wrestle with 
outside and inside of each one of us. As Chesterton once said, the only legitimate argument against Christianity is Christians. So what do we do with this? I'd like us to listen to John. John is very helpful in this passage for us as we think through our response to Jesus. He puts it bluntly, good fruit will always follow genuine repentance. But there is more. If you wrestle with the big questions of the church, if you wrestle with the sin in your own life, if you want to see how the gospel turns our hearts from, joro, from sorrow into joy, then we have to pay attention to John throughout his message from beginning to end. And so let's look at three things this morning that will move us from sorrow to joy, I think. The first thing is the fruit. The second thing is the root. The third thing is the joy. This morning we're going to look at the fruit, the root, and the joy. So first, let's look at the fruit that John is talking about. Now, when John is talking in this passage, we have to first ask the question, you know, who is he talking to? It's very interesting. In Matthew's account of this story, he zooms in on a very specific group of people, the Pharisees. But Luke refuses to do that. He keeps John's message wide open. In verse 7, he says, uh, he says that John said to the crowds. And crowds in Greek is a catch-all phrase for whoever is present. The hey everyone, listen up phrase we have in English. Now by scanning the rest of the story, we can actually see that John is speaking to a mishmash of folks. First of all, he's talking to ordinary Jews, those who would be curious about his message, wondering if he's the Messiah. But he's also talking to Jewish religious leaders, the professional Christians of the day, the pastors in the mix. Notice also that there's tax collectors there. Now these are the scumbags of the Jewish culture. They're pretty much good for nothing. So much so that the religious leaders actually enacted a law I learned this this week, and it was fascinating. They, they created a law that said, you can't lie, you shouldn't lie, except if it's a tax collector. Then you can lie your socks off about how much you make, because they're worthless. The last group of people in this passage is the soldiers. Now, soldiers here is not referred to the Roman soldiers, the ones in red. It's more like a police officer. And these are Jewish people who are on the side of Rome and are keeping the laws, but are doing it hiding behind their Jewish blood. Also known to use their power to, to manipulate people and to take advantage of others. So in this crowd, we have ordinary folks and scumbags. We have outcasts and sinners, so-called saints and professionals. I think it sounds like us, doesn't it? This means John is calling to us, right? Whether you're a broke university student or a wealthy elite in grade school, high school, or grad school, a business executive, a professional on ODSP, or a stay-at-home mom. Blue collar, white collar, whatever collar, we're all here. John is talking to you. Gospel fruit. 
It's your message. It's for you. So listen up. Hey, you, John calls. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What is the fruit that John is talking about? Well, if we skip down to verses 10 to 14, he gives us an incredibly helpful outline of what this could look like in your life. And I think it shows us, if we look at those four verses and how the crowds say, now what should we do? It's very helpful for us. We can see three things kind of popping out of these responses of John. We can see that the fruit is practical. The fruit is beautiful. And the fruit is challenging. So first, let's look at why it's practical. Well, one Bible teacher I was reading this week said it like this. John does not call the crowds to his ascetic lifestyle. You remember, John was known for being in the wilderness, dressed in camel's hair, and eating locusts and honey. He doesn't say, come and follow me, which is good news. Am I right? He says... Um, nor does he call for a commitment to a series of religious acts. Wash yourself six times in this place and then come back to me. And no, he doesn't say that. Nor does he point to the sacrifices associated with the Jewish faith. It's something entirely different. He points to meeting the needs of others in what they are already doing. John points to meeting the needs of others in what they're already doing. He says to the crowds, keep being yourself, but do it differently, intentionally, sacrificially, in your daily life. John tells us to think about the needs of others that we walk by on the street, our neighbors, our friends. If you have two shirts, he says, give them one. If you have extra food, share it. It's so practical. Further than that, he says to the tax collectors, when you collect tax, don't take advantage of people or ask for more money than you should to make a buck. Instead, be fair and do your job with integrity. I think John is saying to all who practice business that we should make sure that we pay attention to how we do business with each other. Gospel fruit includes fair business practices to people who you're working with. People who are working for you or people who you're providing a service to. Mark yourself with integrity, with honesty in everything that you do. To the soldiers, he says to them, don't abuse your positions of power. And I can't help but wonder if that involves everyone who, you know, uh, stewards power in their lives, that we have to see ourselves as the soldiers in this example and think about how do we use power? He says, don't abuse it. The Greek word for extort money literally means to shake violently. I love it. It's like the, the old version of the shakedown, right? Where you flip the person upside down and get all the money out with their... He says, don't do that. Don't abuse your position of power to gain advantage. Instead, instead, he says, do your job and sacrifice yourself for the good of others. Do you see how practical these things are? The fruit of repentance meets you where you are already at, in what you're already doing. But it's also beautiful. How many of us 
long to see this type of reform in our city. Can you just imagine for a moment what Hamilton would look like if we were characterized by this kind of action? Every one of us. Business would be conducted in a way where people would look towards the interests of others above their own. Positions of power would never be abused, but would be stewarded in a way that is respectful and loving, working towards the peace for all people. I've yet to find someone, whether a Christian or a non-Christian, who is opposed to this kind of morality, this kind of world. This is shalom. And it's all in John's message. It resonates with us. There's something deep down inside of us that knows that we are called to live this way. We want it. And, but it is challenging. The way that John preaches the fruit isn't something we can simply check off the list. It's not a program that you can do. It's a lifestyle to live into. And because it's a lifestyle, it asks us to continually sacrifice to meet the needs of those around us. Tim Keller reminds us, he says, Your money is your own, and no one must confiscate it from you. Yet, you have a moral obligation to both God and to your neighbor to use your money unselfishly and with great generosity to love others with it according to both your ability and their needs. It's a lifestyle. And if we scan the scriptures, we will see time and time again where it's not just us that, is, that we are called to be generous and loving. It's our God who sets the example for us. He calls us to do the same thing that he is doing. He is all about moving towards those on the margins, sacrificing greatly for the sake of others without end. If we look at Jesus, we'll see this challenging lifestyle being lived out. We can begin to see that Christians who act poorly don't do it because Christianity is not moral, that its teachings are not good, that it doesn't have the interests of others in mind. Quite the opposite, it does. But we can see that when Christians act in ways where we do not produce good fruit. The problem isn't with Jesus. The problem is with us. It's our problem. Looking at Christians' poor fruit and blaming Christ would be a little like losing respect for Mozart because a six-year-old plays it poorly at a piano recital. It doesn't make any sense. Can we be humble enough not to look at Jesus and point the finger but to look at ourselves, maybe we're the problem. I think that's what John's getting at here. If we continue to uh, look, look back at verses 8 to 9, John says, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Let's look at the root. Why does John talk about the axe at the root? 
This past summer, Tracy and I were doing a bit of yard work, and it included uh, a significant amount of digging. And uh, I, uh, we came into, you know, uh, the general area of a cedar tree in our side yard, and I was very um, thoroughly warned to be very, very, very careful of the roots of this tree. Now, Tracy is a, is a self-proclaimed tree hugger, and, um, and so this, is a, this tree is important to her, and she knows how important roots are for a tree. It is vital that a tree has good, intact, strong roots in order for it to stay stable and healthy. Our trees did not blow over yesterday because there are roots in the ground. It also is needed for nutrients and water and all that good stuff so that the tree can thrive. In this way, our roots are also very important for our fruit. So John asks us the question, what is your root? What root, what do you root yourself in for your life? It's as simple as this. We struggle to produce gospel fruit because we root ourselves in the wrong thing. Our fruit problem is a root problem. And I think John shows, shows us this in two ways. First, he says to the religious leaders. He says to the Christians. He says to the moral people. If you rely on your family history or your name or your reputation or your morality, if that's what you trust in, then you will be humbled. When the time for judgment comes, you won't be able to stand. Why? Because you're going to root your life in what you can do, what you can produce, how you can act. And two things will happen if we do this. First, we will butt up against a lifestyle of generosity and integrity and sacrifice that we will never be able to meet. It will all—if if we root ourselves in ourselves, it will always be a checklist, not a lifestyle. And secondly, when we fail, we will take the fall. Knowing that we have failed God and he will judge us will eat us alive In the same way those who don't identify as Christians They may be we may be marked by generosity and integrity, but why what is the root? Are we trusting in us as a society to make progress towards some utopian future? Haven't the last two years showed us that this is not in our control or in our hands, that we cannot do this. So where does John point us? Let's move towards the joy. He doesn't say to us, try harder. He doesn't say, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. You've produced bad fruit, not a problem. Just try better next time. You'll get it, buddy. No. He says, repent. He says, change your root. Repentance doesn't mean trying harder or changing your attitude or behavior. It means changing your heart, changing your root, changing where you draw your life from. 
your identity from, your everything from. You see, the paradox of the gospel is that whenever we fail and we repent, when we recognize our sin, when we humble ourselves, it moves us more toward producing good fruit than it does bad. When we close ourselves, when we, when we will not humble ourselves, when we try to do it ourselves, that's when we get caught. Being a Christian means recognizing our need for Jesus. And repentance, changing our root, is the crucial piece in this process. But there is more, because when we change our root to Jesus, we're immediately given joy. Because Jesus became our substitute. He came to save us from all the things that we have done that we regret that we will do, that we will regret. All the ways that we don't measure up and all the brokenness in the world, Jesus came to bear our sin and brokenness. The sin of the world came upon him when he was on the cross. It's as Paul writes in Romans, since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? When Jesus went on the cross and he died, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, came upon him, not upon us. And that's in the past. And since Jesus came to do this for us, we can be made right with God. More than that, we can put our roots not in ourselves, but in him. In Christ. Notice the words from Isaiah in our lectionary. It says this, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Salvation is what Christ has done and Christ offers us. It's the good news that John is talking about, that we are saved from our sin and brokenness in Christ. And now we draw water from the wells of salvation. This means that we get our life from Christ, not from ourselves. And this, if we look back at the lectionary readings, this is what all of the prophets are pointing us to. Hey, look what God has done. Have joy, because this is for you. The promise of renewal, restoration, hope of eternal life, the new heavens, the new earth. This is for us. Draw water from the wells of salvation. When we do that, when we recognize that what, what we long for, what we need has been given to us in Christ, it frees us from needing to justify ourselves. It frees us from needing to earn our way into God's kingdom. We've received everything we need. Now we can respond. And respond we will. God is singing over us. He wants you. Imagine that. The God of the universe thinks you're so amazing that he sings for you. 
When we think about this, when we draw from this truth, it changes everything. When we root ourselves in Christ, we are freed to produce gospel fruit for others. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the good news that fills our hearts with joy. That Christ has died, that Christ is risen, that Christ will come again. And through him, we are saved. As we prepare ourselves for your coming, as we look uh, out towards our world and we um, long to represent you, may you fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may do good through you and for you as a response to the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.